Welcome to C4 Church Online, equipping you as you follow Jesus. Well, good morning, C4. And hello to you in the north. We're so glad you're here and those listening online. We are so excited because we're going back into the book of Acts. We've got our study guides out. We've got our groups gathering around. If you don't have yours, please pick up one. And, and uh, we're going to be jumping right back into the middle, actually, of the book. We're starting with Acts 15 today. And Pastor John has been taking us on a journey now for two, two parts in, in the book of Acts. And we've looked at incredible stories of how the Spirit has moved in individuals, in families, healing people, restoring people, bringing life uh, back to people. And today we're getting to Acts 15. And Acts 15 is actually one of the most critical places in scripture. In fact, in church history, Acts 15, this is a pivotal point in church history for the gospel itself. The gospel is now reaching cities and regions and groups of people, people outside of the Jewish race that we will call Gentiles. Anyone who is not a Jew is considered a Gentile, and now this great debate happens. This church fight takes place. Now, I know probably you're not familiar with church fights, right? Yeah, no one has ever heard of one. No one's ever been in one. No one's ever participated in one. Well, I checked out on Twitter just to see maybe what these church fights are about, and there was a survey, and people submitted their church fights. Okay, ready? So here is five of them. A church disputed whether or not to install restroom stall dividers in the woman's restroom. Now, I'm just thinking, what are the options here? Um, a dispute over whether the worship leaders should have their shoes on during the service. Now, this morning, our worship leader kept her shoes off, but she's expecting a baby like any weeks from now, you know, so we gave her permission. A dispute of, in the church because the Lord's Supper they use cran grape juice instead of grape juice. Now, this is a problem. Uh, here's a very serious church fight. Two different churches submitted reports over the type of coffee that was served. In one of the churches, they moved from Folgers to a stronger Starbucks blend. And in another church, they simply moved to a stronger blend and members left in both cases. Please, can we thank the coffee people today and always be thankful for whatever coffee is served? And another coffee issue, a church member was chastised because they brought vanilla syrup to the coffee server and it looked too much like liquor. Well, you know, these are big problems, aren't they? Can I just tell you that when we open the doors to our new renovations that's being worked on in Ajax, and if you don't like the color of the carpet, can you just like keep that to yourself? You know what I'm saying? Like these kinds of things can cause fights among believers, and really, it's just such a waste of energy. But Acts 15 was no silly church fight. In fact, if you go to Acts 14, you're going to see just how serious 
this church fight was. In Acts 14, it describes how some Jews were turning people against Paul and Barnabas and the apostles and those who were following Jesus. And it says, actually, they stoned Paul and dragged him outside the city thinking he was dead. They left him there for dead. But after the disciples had gathered around him, he got up and he went back into the city. This is a serious fight. This is a matter of life or death. And today I'm going to tell you that there is actually something worth fighting for. And Acts 15 is going to tell you what is actually worth fighting for. I'm going to tell you what they were, what the issue was. I'm going to tell you how they handled this debate and issue. And I'm going to tell you this morning, why does it actually matter to you? Are you ready? Acts 15 Verse 1, certain people came down from Judea to Antioch and they were teaching the believers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. Well, this brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed, along with some other believers, to go up to Jerusalem to see the apostles and elders about this question. The church sent them on their way, and as they traveled through Phoenicia and Samaria, they told how the Gentiles had been converted. This news made all the believers very glad. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and leaders, and to whom they reported everything that God had done every, through, through them. Then some of the believers who belonged to this party of the Pharisees, they stood up and said, the Gentiles must be circumcised and required to keep the law of Moses. Now here was the issue at hand. You see, notice in verse 1 they said these certain people. Well, these certain people actually were not sent on behalf of the church in Jerusalem. They weren't representing the church. They were Jews. They were from Jerusalem, but they had not been sent out on behalf of the church. In fact, the reason we know this is if you go down to verse 24 in this passage, it says, and we have heard that some went out from us without our authorization and disturbed you and troubling your minds by what they said. These were lone rangers, Christians, These were troublemakers. You know, Pastor John just took us through the book of Jude. We've just done a very serious study of what a false teacher looks like. And false teachers, one of the signs of false teachers is a lack of submission to authority. The disunity that they carry with them, they take it on themselves as the responsibility to represent God all by themselves, not under anyone else's authority, and usually in disunity with other believers, and therefore preaching a false false gospel. It tells us in these verses that they had a sharp dispute, that this was a fight. And they had to actually take it to the mothership. They had to go back to Jerusalem, to the mother church there, and debate around this very question. And here is the question Here was the thing that they were debating. Did Gentiles who have believed and put their faith in Jesus, do they have to convert to Judaism to be saved? 
Now, you might think, well, that's kind of a silly question. Like, we know that that's not the case, but just wait a minute. All the believers, all early first believers were Jews. Remember that Christianity was a movement that came and began within Judaism. And Jesus himself was a Jew. So they had those reasons and others to actually believe that Christianity was an extension of Judaism. And that because of that, the legal requirements of Judaism would still be part of your Christian experience. They were concerned that these Gentiles, these believers in Antioch and in other places were not entering into a process of becoming a Jewish convert. And this process required a very exciting experience for men because it meant circumcision for all males. So I'm sure the men were really excited about that. And it also meant keeping of the Mosaic laws, which were extensive. It would mean avoiding eating certain types of foods. It would mean going through various ceremonials for, ceremonies for external purity and uh, purification. And it would mean um, various kinds of sacrifices. There was extensive sacrificial systems and laws and regulations set up in the Ju- Jewish system. So why was this important to address then? Was it worth a debate? Was it worth a gathering? Well, Paul and Barnabas understood that to add keeping of the Mosaic law to the requirements for salvation, please lean in and listen. It was to deny that salvation is by faith alone. It also raises the practical parts of Christianity, and it involves both theological uh, concerns as well as practical concerns. The theological concern is actually questioning the integrity of the gospel itself. The practical and the practice of Christianity concern was actually the unity of church fellowship And I want to first address the practice of Christianity and why this would be such an important issue and such an important thing to discuss and debate. You see, Christianity is built on a family system. All of Christianity and the following of God is built on a family system. From the very beginning of time, Christianity is about a family, about being a part of a family of God, about being brothers and sisters in relationship to one another. It's a communal faith. And if if every time a Gentile got saved and put their faith and trust in Christ, if they had to convert to Judaism, then they would have to separate from their Gentile brothers and sisters. They wouldn't be able to eat with them. They wouldn't be able to have fellowship with them and just simply hanging out with them. And that actually goes against the family of the gospel, that both Jews and Gentiles could then become one and share in a community. I heard people laugh as we showed our recent Connect Group video when the people are giving their testimonies and saying what they bring to Connect Group. Ice cream, chips, candy, right? Like we laugh, but actually eating together is a deeply biblical Christian practice. 
It is actually what enables people to connect at a deep level. God loves food, and he loves family, and he loves as believers when we're able to eat and have fellowship together. It is part of the community, and he doesn't want his family to be split up and divided. He wants us to be able to hang out together. So that is why the This discussion is so important that in order to become a believer, to also to become a Jew, to practice Judaism, meant that you would separate yourself from other believers. But secondly, the theology is the uh, integrity of the gospel is at stake. At the very heart of the gospel is this scandal. You see, the gospel is scandalous. It is scandalous then and it's scandalous now. What do I mean by this? Well, the gospel says that you can't earn it, that you, you actually can't work for it. You, you, don't, you don't have to achieve it in any way. It's not through your own merit or your doing, but the gospel is about a gift. The gospel itself is about grace. The gospel itself is about a sacrifice that we didn't have to pay. And you see, the scandal of the gospel is you don't actually deserve it. You don't deserve the gospel. You don't deserve salvation. It doesn't matter how good you are or how bad you are. The scandal is you get it anyway. It's a gift if you choose to receive it. You see, you cannot add to a gospel of grace, or you actually are diminishing what Jesus did on the cross. If you say, I believe in Jesus, he was a good teacher, he was a prophet, which our our Buddhists, our Muslim, our Hindu friends would all say that, but here's the difference. If you say, I believe in him, but I believe in the death of, of Jesus, I believe he died and rose again, but Right there, I need to do something else. I need to be good enough. I need to achieve it. I need to earn it. I need... You have added to the gospel and you have diminished the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. You have disgraced the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. Nothing but the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ is the gospel. That is worth fighting for. How do we know this? I want you to read this scripture aloud with me. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. Let's say this together. For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. You have to leave your pride at the door. You have to lay down your self-achieving ways. You're being good enough, and you have to say, I receive your gift. That is the power of the gospel. Any time that we add to that, we are disgracing the gospel. Religion adds to the gospel. Religion burdens people. We have seen through church history the terrible atrocities of adding to the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ in the name of Christianity, but actually it's the It's the burden of religion. And you know what? This is as relevant today as it was then. 
Because in our culture, we live in an individualistic culture where everything is not about community, everything is not about a family, but everything is about the individual. We have a pluralistic and a relativistic culture. What do I mean by that? Well, in pluralism, it says there's many ways to God. You believe your way, I believe my way. Relativism says your truth is my truth. We can own our own truth. Somehow I don't understand how your truth and my truth can be the same truth or can be can be true. You see, it's just a problem in itself. But we say that it doesn't matter what truth you believe as long as you believe it for yourself. Well, actually, that is not true as long as a person says, you know, I've, I, I can go to church, I can do it my own way, I can pray to uh, Muhammad or Buddha, I, I can be a good person. None of that saves you. I can be right, I can have my own view of the gospel is contrary to what scripture tells us. Just like in Acts, we have to contend for the truth of the gospel. We have to be clear about what it is. And actually, not just what it is, but we have to actually believe that it is the only way to have a relationship with God. Or we actually will not share the gospel. So I want to stop, and I'm going to draw you a picture. (laughs) Because I know that pictures help us remember things. I want to take you to a passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Starting at verse 17, and I'm drawing this picture for a few reasons. Some of you listening or watching maybe don't really understand the truth of the gospel. So I'm going to draw you a simple picture that illustrates the gospel. But primarily the reason I'm drawing this picture is because I know that many of you watching or listening now are believers. And I want to equip you to go in and contend for the gospel. I want you to take this picture And I want you to sit over food, (laughs) coffee, chips, I don't care what it is, ice cream. And I want you to have conversations with people about what the truth of the gospel actually is. So go with me to 2 Corinthians 5. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, they're a new creation. A new creation has come. The old has gone and the new is here. All of this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ. That God was reconciling, bringing back the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Now, if you know my artistic abilities, you know I'm pretty good at stick figures. So there's your stick figure. And I want you to look at verse 17. Now, it talks about this this person. They can become a new creation, but something has to take place. And it says that when we put our sin on Christ, on the cross, there is an exchange that takes place. Our sin is our brokenness. Our sin, we are born separated from God, and anything that we do that is contrary to to who God is, is sin. The scripture tells us to put our sin on the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. Put your sin on him, but what you get in return is his righteousness. You see, this is called the great exchange, This is what happens in salvation, this great exchange. Your sin for his righteousness. You don't have to do anything 
but believe in what Jesus did on the cross. And what happens to you? You become a new creation. Yeah, shiny, new, and bright. This is the new guy. This is the person who now no longer is identified by their sin, but they have the righteousness of Jesus. They're wearing his clothes. They have his identity. In fact, this is your identity as a believer. You are a new creation, not because of anything you did, but because of what you gave to Jesus. And now you carry his righteousness. That is the gospel, that simple picture right there. It's simple, it's powerful, and here's the truth of it. It saves you. It saves you from yourself, from sin, and from the power of Satan and death. And it gives you life. So how did they handle this fight for the gospel? Because it's one thing to believe something, but you can behave badly in the process You know what I'm saying? You can believe this and then just behave badly as a Christian. Let me show you in this scripture how they actually handled this fight. Verses 1 to 5 that we read earlier discuss that after they had this strong debate, they had to travel back to Jerusalem, and they went through several towns and villages. And what did they do on the way? Did they say, hey, people, there's some really bad dudes, and like they are disgracing the gospel, and I don't want you to talk to them, and their names are, and they're gossiping and slandering. Did that, is that what they did? No, it says actually on their way to Jerusalem for the debate, They told everyone the great news of what God had done in people's lives. See, that's what we do. We we don't slander those people who are against us and disagree with us. We don't gossip about them to other people. We continue to tell the great story of God. But then we go to appropriate people and to appropriate places to have the debate. And I want you to to, to notice that the first part of this debate, Peter takes them to proof Now they're in Jerusalem. Now they're looking each other in the face, by the way. They're talking in relationship, and they're having this debate. Let's read it, verses 6 to 11. The apostles and elders met to consider this very question. After much discussion, so there was much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them. Brothers, you know that some time ago God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. God, who knows the heart, showed that he accepted them by giving them the Holy Spirit to them, just as he did to us. He did not discriminate between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear? No, he says, We believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved just as they are. And the whole assembly became silent as they listened to Barnabas and Paul telling about the signs and wonders God had done among the Gentiles. Peter's first testimony was based on experience. Experience matters. The experience of the power of God in your life matters. The experience of the power of the Holy Spirit in your life matters. Peter was saying, do you remember in Acts 10 and 11 when we studied it a while ago that this sheet came down from heaven and Peter had a vision? And then Cornelius, this Gentile centurion, he had a vision and God said, 
Peter, I want you to go and give the gospel to Cornelius and his household. And all of Cornelius' household believed. They were the first Gentile believers. And that was Peter saying, look, I didn't get this either, but God told me to go and I saw for myself how they accepted the Holy Spirit. I've seen it with my own eyes, Peter said. And then Barnabas and Paul start sharing about the amazing healings of the people, the individuals and families that they experienced and told of the great stories that we also have heard of. Peter says in verse 11, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved just as they are. We don't need to add to the gospel. We don't need to add any more requirements. We see the proof that they have the Holy Spirit. In Acts 11, he refers to this story and he says, so if God gave them the same gift he gave us who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to think that I could stand in God's way? Now just stop for a minute because have you ever thought that you might stand in the way of someone coming to the Lord Jesus? I know I have. You see, sometimes I've looked at people to think, they're so down and out, their life is so messed up, they have so many addictions, like, I just don't know how they could ever, like, I just don't, it seems impossible for them to be saved. And on the other hand, I look at some people and think, man, they got their life together, their, their life is better than mine, like, they're just living the dream, and they just, they don't like, look like they need anything, and I just don't know whether they'd really want to hear the gospel, so I just kind of discount them. Do you ever do that? You know what? I was just so convicted as I was reading this this week where Peter just said, who is I to think I could stand in God's way? God's desire is to bring everyone to himself, right? And here they are in this debate and argument. They're doing it face to face. They're sharing about their own experiences. And then, of course, they go to scripture because experience needs to be backed up by scripture, and this is what James done. James is now, the, he's the brother of Jesus. At one time, he didn't even believe Jesus was a Messiah. And now he's like the president of the church. You know, he's the great leader in the church in Jerusalem. He's the man in charge, well-respected. And he says, when, Peter and, when, he, when they were finished, James spoke up. He said, brothers, listen to me. Simon has described to us how God first intervened to choose a people for himself, for his name from the Gentiles. The words of the prophets are in agreement with this. Now wait, where do the prophets speak? In the Old Testament. So James takes these Jewish uh, people back to the Old Testament, which they would know very well, and he quotes from Amos 9. After this, I will return and rebuild David's fallen tent. Its ruins I will rebuild and I will restore it, that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord, even all the Gentiles who bear my name, says the Lord, who does these things, things known from long ago. You see, back in time, Amos is saying, and and he's quoting this saying, there is a time coming. There's a time coming where God's going to bring all the nations to himself. And Peter and James and Barnabas and Paul are saying the time is now. The time is now. I'm bringing everybody to myself. God is a God of restoration. God is a God who wants to build a people bring a people to himself, a family to himself. James agreed that, that uh, there was, this was troubling and it was burdening to add the Mosaic law and to add to be converted to Judaism to the gospel itself, but he was sensitive. 
And you know, part of the way we work out our discussions and our debate is to be sensitive to the cultures that we're in. And he was very aware that there was still Jewish people that had not yet said yes to following and putting their faith in Jesus alone. That, there, that Gentiles and Jews were living in the same towns. That in fact the gospel had been spread um, from city to city. And he wanted the brothers and sisters to be truly a family and to get along. So like a good leader, he proposes... Uh, a Gentile and Jewish proposal so that everyone really can get along and be sensitive to the cultural differences. He goes on to say in verse 19, it is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Don't make it difficult for them. Instead, we should write to them, telling them to abstain from food polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from the meat of strangled animals, and from blood. For the law of Moses has been preached in every city from the earliest times and is read in the synagogues on every Sabbath. Well, you think, well, what? Like he's adding stuff to it, isn't he? Well, it's like when you're in a different culture and you respect the ways of the culture. Even though you're both Christians, you might have different views on things. I was in India in November. I didn't wear shorts and a t-shirt in India. As a woman, that would have been offensive. I wore completely covered head to toe when I was in India because I respected their culture. Now here, I don't have the conviction that I need to cover myself head to toe. In fact, I was doing gardening on Friday and I had shorts and a t-shirt on. You know, I wasn't, that's not a conviction that we have in our culture. But when we go into another culture, we're aware and sensitive. And I didn't want to create a stumbling block to the gospel itself by showing up in shorts and a t-shirt. Right? And James is saying, the gospel's being preached in every city. There's still Jews who are observing those ceremonial laws and they think they're important and there's no need to give offense to Jewish believers or unbelieving Jews that might yet come to Christ. So he, these, he puts these three prohibitions. Three of them, or four of them, three of them have to do with food. We're back to the food again. He says, don't eat meat that has been um, offered to idols. And the other thing is, he says, don't eat your, your steak rare. Sorry for people who like that. But here's the thing. No blood in your meat. That's basically what he's saying. You can't eat blood, meat with blood, and you can't eat food given to idols. Choose not to do that. Choose not to do that. Because you're going to offend your brother and sisters. And it's really not worth it just to have a rare steak. You know? And secondly, he said, and this wasn't so much cultural as it was Uh, demonstrating being a follower of Christ, he speaks against sexual behavior. And again, we see in our culture as in theirs, sexual immorality is rampant. And when people turn to Jesus, as Pastor John illustrated so well, sex being from God, he's created riverbanks for us. This powerful gift from God met for marriage alone. God sets up these riverbanks and he says, keep sex in marriage. That's where it's powerful. When you go outside of the riverbanks and you uh, uh, behave in ways that are outside the, the plan of God, it brings brokenness into your life. 
You see, sexual immorality brings brokenness to people. It brings brokenness to their situations. God knows this, and he asks us to actually obey him in this area. The chapter goes on to say that they then wrote a letter, and they didn't put it in the Jerusalem Post and let it, or give it to a guy on a horse and say, go deliver it. They personally went, again, to handle a difficult issue. They went back face to face. And they took the letter, Paul, Barnabas, and we're told some others with them. It says um, in verse 23, we have heard that some went out from us without our, oh, yep, without our authorization and disturbed you. This is the letter, troubling your minds by what they said. So we all agreed to choose some men and send them to you with our dear friends, Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, we're sending Judas and Silas to confirm by word of mouth what we've written, and they outline in the letter the things that they're asked. It would do well with you, it says at the end of the letter. They were encouraged by it, and it says, you know, you would do well to avoid these things. It's not about rules and regulation. He wants to bring unity to the church. Here's three lessons I think that we learn by looking at this debate, by looking at how they handled it. God speaks through experience. We aren't to discount the experiences of God in our life, and we should be telling and declaring the work of God to everyone, those who believe and those who don't yet believe. We should tell of the powerful miracles that happen in our life. And secondly, God speaks through Scripture. All of your experience should line up with Scripture. You can always go there to check to see if it's in alignment with how God works. And God speaks through the Holy Spirit to everyone, but particularly in this setting as leaders were coming together to resolve an issue, God speaks through the Holy Spirit. It says in verse 28, it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. I love that line. You know, just uh, having the privilege to serve at C4, I can honestly tell you, I can't because of confidentiality give you the exact example, but I can tell you in the last month, as leaders in this church, We have practiced this, that we have gone to the Word of God, we have gone to the Holy Spirit, we have prayed, we have talked to God, and we've talked to each other in order to resolve and make decisions that would be best for the body and that we discerned together. This is a process of discernment, and I can can assure you that this is what we value and also hold to at C4 as leaders here. And this is a call for every one of us when we have difficult theological issues. You might not think the same as other believers on a matter, but face-to-face you can't replace, right? No missiles in the mail. My old pastor used to call them missiles in the mail because they were like letters that showed up to the church that no one signed, but today we got the internet, we have email, we have social media, we have Instagram, we have Facebook. We've got all kinds of ways to throw missiles in the mail. We can put our arguments out there, just spouting them off in social media, thinking there's nothing at stake. And actually, it's very naive. We can have disagreements as believers, but we have to remember that we need to come together in unity, even though we may see some things differently. We need to operate in a way where we're seeking God, we're desiring unity, and that our brothers and sisters, we actually care and love each other more than the matter. Right? Whenever it becomes about being right, then I would suggest we're wrong. 
The gospel is worth fighting for. So why is this important? Why does this matter to us? Why do I draw you pictures on a whiteboard that I'm actually going to finish the picture for you? Because I want you to understand something. This was not a fight that just happened many years ago. This is so relevant to today and where we're living. I want to take you back to 2 Corinthians 5, 17. But I'm going to show you all the verses. Let's read it together, and then I'm going to finish this drawing. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he, the new creation, has come. The old has gone. The new is here. All of this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ. He brings us back to himself through Christ. Now, here's the kicker. Look at this verse. All of this is from God who reconciled us, reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us what? The ministry of reconciliation. Say that. The ministry of reconciliation. Hold that thought. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them, and he has committed to us Read this, the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. This is the world, in case you're wondering. We are Christ's ambassadors. This is your calling. This is the calling of every single believer. You are an ambassador of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. We, therefore, are Christ's ambassadors as though, here's your job, God were making his appeal through us. Wow. So we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled, to God. Be made right with God. Come back to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Believer, please lean in right now. Many people in their life ask, what is my purpose in life? What is God's will for my life? What is my calling? I'm going to tell you right now, what your calling is. If your identity is in Christ, the great exchange has taken place. You have put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Scripture says you're an ambassador. Now think about the job of an ambassador. He says God's making his appeal through you. When you're an ambassador, you represent your country in a foreign land. You represent the king of your country in another kingdom. You bring the kingdom of God into another land. Do you hear what I'm saying? You are children of the king. Every one of you, you don't have to go to Bible school, you don't have to have a theology degree, you don't have to follow Jesus for 15, 20 years. The very minute you say yes to Jesus, the minute you bow your knee and say, come into me, Holy Spirit, 
Forgive me, Lord Jesus, for my sin. I put my faith and trust in you. You are crowned an ambassador of the Lord Jesus. Yes, you have the privilege of declaring the gospel. But here's what it says in those verses. You get two things. Here's the two things you get as an ambassador. Number one, you get the message of the gospel. What is the message of the gospel? It is a message of reconciliation. That is just a big word to say, come back to Jesus. This is it. This is your message. That is the main message in your life. Do not fight about the color of the carpet. Don't fight about whether you like the coffee or not. Who cares if you don't don't agree with everyone in your family? This is what we fight for. This is what we represent. Don't disgrace the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ by getting on Twitter or Instagram or whatever or firing off your complaints in the mail or like, really? The gospel is at stake. People are dying. The world is going to hell unless they know the truth of the Lord Jesus. And here's the second thing that you're given. You are given the ministry of reconciliation. You said it. You read it with me. In those verses, you get a message and you get the ministry. Be an ambassador of the Lord Jesus Christ. Represent your king well. You don't have to know it all, but boy, you better know the gospel. And here's the other thing. You better care that people are going to hell. We waste far too much time in our lives worrying about our own comfort, our own opinions, defending ourselves over unnecessary things, don't we? Don't you see the fights even amongst Christians today? It's a disgrace so often. It doesn't mean that you can't debate, but debate in a way that they exemplified in Acts 15. Debate in a way where you're going face to face, that you actually care about the unity of the church, that you care about the love of brothers and sisters. In your connect groups, in this church, may we be a church that is known that we are ambassadors that represent the Lord Jesus Christ first and foremost. Amen? As the worship team comes, I want you to bow your head because I want you to leave today understanding your identity, and your calling. If you don't know Jesus, I invite you. I invite you to receive the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the only way, and it's a gift. It's a freebie. Get over yourself. There's no way you could achieve it. You could never be good enough anyway. If that's you, as we bow our heads, I want you to pray pray this prayer with me. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your death on the cross. Forgive me my sin. Thank you for taking my sin on yourself and dying in my place. I repent of my sin, of all the ways I've turned from you. I receive, by faith, your gift of salvation. I ask for your righteousness. Make me a new creation full of the Holy Spirit. I'm choosing to follow you and be your ambassador. Now I'm going to ask the church You know Jesus, I want you to stand. You are the church. I want you to stand with me. I want you to pray this prayer in your heart of hearts, if you can. If you cannot, then you can just listen. But if you are a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, 
I want you to pray this prayer with me. Forgive us for fighting over things that distract from the gospel. Forgive us, Jesus. Keep our focus on you and our partnership with you as your ambassadors to a lost and dying world. Lord, find us faithful as ambassadors of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. May we represent you well, speaking the truth of the gospel and living lives that demonstrate with great love, great grace, overwhelming mercy, the truth and the love powerfully to everyone that cross our paths. Lord, I pray that the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ would go out from this place, carried on the lips of every ambassador that belongs to you, that represents you, that there'd be such an outpouring of ambassadorship, if that is even a word, that we would represent you so well, Jesus. That people would see the light and the life and the new creations that we've become, that they'd want to follow you too. I commend my brothers and sisters to you. I pray for unity in our church. I pray as the gospel spreads through all cultures, Lord Jesus, that we would defend you, that we would love each other, that we would live in peace, and many people would turn to you, Lord Jesus. In your powerful name, amen. Thanks for joining us. To connect to the ministries of C4, visit c4church.com.